0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Red and White Authority brought to you by Labatt Blue. I'm Daniela Bruce alongside Art Regner. Art, it's been a couple weeks since you, you talked about Labatt Blue, so I think you should do it really quick.
1: Well, it is the official Canadian beer, the Detroit Red Wings. It's delicious. And as you know, I always quote, I must be really, you know, I was into Muhammad Ali when I was growing up because his famous quote, whether it's. Winter, summer, spring, or fall.
0: Oh, no. Is there a fire?
1: Oh, my God. No, I think somebody wants a Labatt Blue. I think, <laughs>
0: I think that's the, be- the beer siren. We're getting a message. Oh, no, we're not. All right. Well, we're going to continue. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, well,
1: whether it's winter, summer, spring, or fall, what better way to cap off your day than with an ice-cold, frothy Labatt Blue. But we do ask that you drink our premium beer, Responsibly, they've been from day one of this podcast, they have always been our sponsor.
0: Okay, we're gonna, and I'll tell you, somebody really wants their blue. (laughs) We're gonna save this. I don't know. Are we getting an announcement this time? This is the LCA command center. This is the LCA command center. It's a false alarm on fire panel. False alarm on fire panel. False alarm. False alarm. False alarm. That's good.
1: Okay, we do
0: not have to evacuate.
1: Well. Uh, on tape, live, or whatever, right?
0: <laughs> All right, good. the podcast continues.
1: Yeah, we're gonna go. We're gonna, we're just gonna. You know, hey, we we're not burning down, so let's get let, let's, let's, let's keep let's, it going.
0: March on. All right, okay. Well, we have a great episode for you today. Emily <laughs> Kaplan of ESPN joined us to talk everything NHL, Red Wings, leading up to the All Star break. So we'll get to that. She was fantastic. She definitely really was. You. You'll want to listen to that one. She was great. But let's talk some Red Wings, okay? As we stand right now. The Red Wings last game was Saturday against Vegas. And it was another impressive Red Wings win art.
1: Very much so because the, the, the Vegas Golden Knights are a team that truly from from the, the first time they ever stepped on the ice, they were never out of a game. I have the center ice package. I love watching. I watch a lot of hockey. And they just find a way to win games. No matter how far down they are, they just seem to be one of those teams. They're a very balanced team. Uh, From from the goal mouth out, uh, everybody can score. Everybody plays D. They're committed to each other. But the Red Wings just took it to them. They really, really did. And it's a surprise. And I think that the Golden Knights, very rarely do you see them have An off game, and I'm not, and because of what the Red Wings were doing, Mm -hmm. you know, they're going to play the same system no matter what. The other team, how they react to it, and the Red Wings reacted very, very well, and you know, really dominated that game and won it.
0: It's still taking some time to get used to for me, having watched so much Red Wing hockey over the past few years, that the Red Wings go up to nothing early in the game, right? So they're up to nothing, and then Vegas comes right back and ties it.
1: That's the way they do it,
0: right? So I'm sitting there thinking, oh, man, they're going to give away another lead. Like, they had this game. But these Red Wings, the fight in them, the way that they responded to that, they score a late first-period goal to go back up on the the Golden Knights. And from there, they never looked back. It's the fight, it's the resilience, and it's something we haven't seen in quite a few years. Well,
1: it is the resiliency and a belief in one another. Uh, I I think whenever we talk to a Red Wing, whether it's pregame, postgame, after practice or whatever – they talk about the feeling in the room, mm-hmm. how the team feels, how they approach it together as a team. I'm not saying the Red Wings were a splintered group, you know, years. But once you have to learn how to win as a team. You really do. You have to learn and everybody, how they fit into the roles, what the system is, what's the best way for us. All 20 skaters here, well, I guess a backup goalie, you know, he can sit there and cheer them on, I guess. But uh, how they react to certain situations, whatever we're down in, or what we're going to do as a team, as a unit. And the Red Wings now have a system that they all believe in, a resiliency, as you said. And I think it's very reminiscent, and, and I, I, it's very reminiscent of yesteryear in Red Wing land where they had a belief in themselves. Mm-hmm. And regardless of what the obstacle was they were going to get through that hurdle. And this Red Wing team is on that, has that same mindset.
0: And the leader of all of that, both on the ice and off the ice, is the captain, Dylan Larkin, who scored his 200th career goal against the Vegas Golden Knights.
2: Beat pass out the center. Two on one, over the line. Raymond dished it over to break it to Larkin. He scores! Ah!
1: 11-game point streak. Larkin gets Detroit the one nothing lead after a beautiful passing play. on the odd man opportunity.
0: Dylan Larkin, 200 career goals are... I know you've followed his entire career under a microscope magnifying glass, as we all have, but you especially. Just great to see the milestones that he's reaching. An 11-game point streak this season. He scored over 20 goals for the fifth time in his career. And with everything that he's been through this year, incredible to see him putting this together.
1: Well, it goes back to uh, the development program in Ann Arbor. (laughs) He and Jack Eichel were tearing it up together. Uh, Then at the University of Michigan, where he was – Big Ten Freshman of the Year. Very apparent that he was the best player on the ice every time he he was on the ice, and uh, you know just a wonderful guy. You know we know his family, I know his brother, I know his two his his two cousins, the four knuckleheads as I like to call them. Uh, you know just a wonderful person. And when somebody like that, and Dylan really is salt of the earth. I can go on with every cliche you want about what good people. Uh, you know he comes from or his family, but you're happy for them because he does it the right way. He doesn't take a day off. Mm-hmm. He, he, You know, he's always positive. He's always urging on his team. Daniela, how many times over the last couple of seasons where, you know, that poor kid was dragged out there because, you know, he's wearing the C or he's the leader of the team. I always called the Dylan Larkin's Red Wings, as you know, and spoke for this team. And, you know, there were times where, you know, he wears the emotion on his sleeve. You can see it. That's why I think at times yeah. he leads them in penalty minutes. But, uh, you know, he he loses a little bit. He goes all Detroit on him, as I like to say. <laughs> but, he, uh, uh, but there were times where he would say, guys, I wish I had something else to say to you. I, I wish I could explain it. But I'm at a loss for words, just like we all are at a loss for words. Well, he's no longer at a loss for words because he's finally playing on a team that has – tangible goals and I think they're going to meet him
0: and don't take this the wrong way because Dylan Larkin is the leader on this team but I think it really helps him having guys like David Perron like Ben Sherratt Andrew Kopp and now even Patrick Kane in that mix just to help him lead a little bit it doesn't all fall on his shoulders right how many times this year have the guys I just listed come out and spoke after a loss how many times have they helped Dylan motivate this team it's It's something special with the leadership core that the Red Wings have been able to put together. And Dylan is definitely the leader of that group.
1: And I'm sure when Patrick Kane walked into the room the first time as a Red Wing, <laughs> his inner D boss was uh, his heart must have been pumping because oh, yeah. <laughs> you know I mean that you know Kaner was his man as as we all know legendary uh, and uh, yeah, yes I think you're absolutely right the veterans that Steve brought in the way he's upgraded this team they're they balance scoring they all four lines can produce. Uh, you know, I'm never surprised when, you know, the Red Wings score a goal, you know, usually you would think, oh, it had to be Larkin or, you know, back in the day, Bertuzzi or whomever, you know. Uh, that's not the case anymore. You can say, oh, Sprung, oh, Sprung got one. Hey, Petrie got one. I mean, you know, it's, it's uh, scoring by collective. And, uh, uh, and I think that's absolutely great. But I do think when Kane walked into the room too, I think as, you know, you touched upon this with Emily, and I don't want to give anything away, but it gives a validity – and a boost of confidence, I think, to the Red Wing team.
0: I'm counting something right now. Hold on. You know this. I can't, yeah. I can't do two things at once. So hold on. One. But you are chewing gum, aren't you? <laughs> <Five things. laughs> Seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten Red Wings right now. Oh, they're numbered. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> a waste of time. Um,
1: <laughs> there <That's> are <laughs> right. at least you're honest.
0: Yeah, I needed practice counting anyway. <laughs> ten Red Wings have ten or more goals right now, and then you have Joe Valeno sitting at nine and Patrick Kane sitting at seven. So you imagine both of them will hit that double digit mark at some point throughout the season. My point is that's a lot of balanced scoring. That again, like you just alluded to, you always thought it was two or three guys when, when a goal was scored. That's definitely not the case anymore.
1: No, it's it, as I said, it's scoring by committee. And if you look back, why were the, uh, you know, the Seattle Kraken successful? Why were the Vegas Golden Knights successful? They didn't have 40 goal scorers on that team, but they had a core group of guys, four or five of them, that scored at least 20. I mean, they have a bunch of guys who can score, and that's exactly what Steve had to do. And I think it's a conscious effort. We've talked about this before, Daniela, is that the Red Wings, because draft luck or not, they didn't get the number one pick, or they haven't been able to draft Connor Mcdavid or Austin Matthews, or we, you know when they when they were drafting high, they get very good players lucas raymond he's he's elite level player superstar not yet I'll just say not yet Mo Sider, well
0: superstar I, superstar I, I love you Moe. No,
1: no no but but my point being is is that I think Steve said, you know we're not going to be able to build around one or two players. Mm-hmm. we have to build as we need a bunch of very, very good players that we can have balanced scoring and balanced line. Remember, the Red Wing teams he played on, they had four lines. All you know, the time. grind line, if the grind line's your fourth line, woo, that's pretty scary if you're the opposition. So, you know, pick your poison with that, and I think that's exactly where the Red Wings are. They can roll four lines. Their defense, of course, starting to come together. Alex Lyon, you know, I know he's a folk hero in Florida. They call him the Lion King. Well, he's the Lion King here too, and, you know, very odd young man in a good way, but uh, you know I, I can't see him not keeping this up just because of his mental makeup.
0: <laughs> yeah, if you have a conversation with Alex Lyon, you're very confident that he's going to be able to roll with this for the rest of the season.
1: I don't know how many 31-year-olds, I think that's what he is yes. now, would bring up Aqualung by Jethro Tull, and he did that yesterday as a reference point for something, I don't know, Andrew and the social team was doing, and he goes, "All right, come here. He goes, Aqualung. I go, Jethro Tull? He goes, yeah, man, and I'm thinking, God old I soul mean, <laughs> you know the, that album was like 30 years old by the time you were born you know but uh, but anyway yeah so uh, but that's good that's a good mixture of the team and I think when you have and you will find this out you know and I it's like in any work environment situation you have guys that are kind of joking around you have guys that are you know, emotional, and you have guys that are, you know, kind of quiet and all that. But when they're on the same page, it doesn't matter what their personalities are, they have a common goal, they have a common bond, and they're able to accomplish great things. And, you know, I'm not saying the Red Wings are going to be hoisting the cup. I'd love to see it. But uh, what I am saying is, is this, this is a team, this is a team that Detroit can be proud of. This is a team that is going to give everything they have each and every game.
0: We've seen that at this point in the season. We've seen that through the month of January. And we're going to get to our conversation with Emily Kaplan now because it was really good. And she gives us a perspective on the Red Wings nationally, on the entire league. And we talk about some of the situations we might see in the playoffs. Here's Emily Kaplan, everyone. Joining us now on the Red and White Authority is Emily Kaplan, ESPN NHL reporter. And Emily is so much fun. I've been able to build a little relationship with her as she's been gallivanting around the country covering the NHL. Emily, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. We're so excited to chat with you.
3: It is truly my pleasure. Art, great to meet you. Daniela, it's just been so lovely to get to know you the last couple of years. You're a rising star in this industry. So happy to do this. Also happy to talk about Detroit Red Wings, one of my favorite teams, one of my favorite cities in the league. So uh, I'm ready to go.
0: Uh, We're going to let you just give Detroit some love right there, Emily, because you (laughs) are one of the only people that knows how great Detroit is. We try to pitch it to people, but you get it. You get it.
3: It's truly one of the most underrated cities on the road. Um, We actually had a game scheduled there that got moved off the schedule, and everyone was making fun of me, like, why are you so upset? Don't worry, I think ESPN scheduling gods are going to redo the favor because the Red Wings are doing so well. But um, as you guys know, I just love cities with character. There's, of course, there's grit, there's history, but every time I go, I just like find this new, exciting, vibrant neighborhood. The food scene is so good. Uh, I grew up in New Jersey, so I understand the dynamics of everybody just like not appreciating what's right in front of you, but I absolutely adore Detroit.
1: Well, it's interesting because I was going to say, being from New Jersey, because growing up here in Detroit, like I have, I always kind of identified with New Jersey because if they weren't knocking Detroit, they were knocking New Jersey, and I'm like, wow, maybe that's where I should end up eventually. But I guess my question is: is when you tell people you like Detroit and you love it, and they look at you like Emily, you know, we love you, but you need to get your head examined. <laughs> what is it about Detroit? Are you specific about certain things that you like about this city?
3: No, I think just the character, um just the fact that it's a city with a personality. and you know, I've had like a couple Saturdays where I've been able to walk around, go to Eastern Market, just check out some of the local businesses, the street art. Um like a really artsy city too. There's some galleries and then the food scene. I guess just all of those things together. I'm just like, this is a hidden gem and you guys are lucky that you live there every day and you get to explore it. I live in Chicago, obviously like a little bit of a different vibe, but I see a lot of the good in Chicago and Detroit as well.
0: Yeah, and You know, a lot of people that grew up in the Detroit area end up going to Chicago. So there are definitely similarities. Obviously, Chicago is way bigger and and more built up of a city, but there's definitely some similarities there. Midwesterners love it. All right, we will get to some hockey now, and I want to kick this off with just a question about the league in general, Emily. It's been such an exciting first half of the season. Hockey's been great. What are your three biggest storylines right now as we approach the All-Star break?
3: So well, I think number one, Daniela, is just the parody. Um, this is the way Gary Bettman likes the league, where any team can win it on every given any given year. And you look at what happened with the Florida Panthers last year. The last seed to make the playoffs, and then all of a sudden you can go on a run to make the Stanley Cup final and do it with style. And no one was questioning whether that team was a fluke. They were really good. They just peaked at the right time. So this year, I just feel like there's so many teams that feasibly have a chance. So this race down the stretch is going to be fascinating and that I think we're shaping up for an absolutely awesome playoffs where really good teams are going to get eliminated early. Um, the second storyline is probably goaltending. just feels like this year there's a thirst for good goaltending around the league um, and not enough goalies to go around. And, you know, some of the reasons why maybe the shooters are just catching up, the technology is um favoring the forwards now who just have way more of advantages over the goalies i don't know if there's something in the water but um the teams that will get reliable goaltending and there's not many that feel confident about their goaltending right now to be honest with you um, are the ones that probably are going to see their way through and then finally, you know, I hate to like single out one team, but we're going into the all-star break with the Edmonton Oilers on a 16-game winning streak, which is just insane. And just the turnaround that they've had of having to have their coach get sacrificed, you know, obviously the save percentage wasn't great going back to goaltending. Connor McDavid was a bit banged up, but the turnaround they've had to now look like one of the most dominant teams in the league, just how long can they keep this going? And then it's just finally Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl's year.
1: Yeah, I want to quickly. I read a story of Connor McDavid. I think he's fifth or sixth in the scoring race now, and he said he doesn't care. And he talked about. Uh, a a new defensive system that the team has bought in, and he thinks that's why the Oilers have turned it around. And I had to flash back to about, I don't know, I want to say 20 years, probably more like 30, but he sounded just like Steve Iserman when Steve decided it was time to not get 150 points a season or 60 goals. It's time to win a championship, and the only way we're going to do that is if I turn my game around and be a little bit more – a complete player and the the Red Wing team because Steve bought into it and Scotty Bowman came in here and <laughs> made sure they bought into it but still I mean it, it was really you know I, I like I said I had a flashback and uh, uh, it's, it's pretty astounding and you know we're big Ken Holland fans here or at least I am and to see Edmonton be able to turn it around do you think it's their year perhaps?
3: Yeah, I mean, Ken Holland is like top 10 human that you'll meet in the NHL. It's really hard to find anyone in this league who could say something bad about him. He's just a good person, and you want to root for him. I like that comparison between Connor and Stevie Y. Like, I definitely see um, similarities, especially in intensity, of both of them just as competitors. And I think you're onto something because we know what Connor McDavid is. He's the most electric, complete player we've ever seen. The offensive highlights are what typically dazzle us. But this team for so many years hasn't been able to get over that playoff hump because the one thing that's always played them is their defense. They just don't have the strongest blue line, and their goaltending hasn't really been anything to write home about. So there's probably a maturity that's happening right now with Connor McDavid and the evolution of his game to understand, okay, we can outscore teams left and right. That's totally fine. But once it comes down to playoff hockey, um, it's going to need to be a more of a grind. And that's not just relying on the guys that our back end. It means us um, picking it up a little bit as forwards as well in the style that we play.
0: Emily, I think the Red Wings are going through something similar at a at a lower level right now than what the Edmonton Oilers are doing. But their month of January, the Red Wings has been outstanding in playing defense has been one of those reasons. And you mentioned goaltending being a storyline. It's a storyline in Detroit right now, too, because Alex Lyon has been incredible during the the Red Wings hot streak here. What's the impression nationally of the Red Wings right now?
3: Yeah, I mean, Alex Lyon has been an absolutely fantastic story. got to know a little bit about his background uh, when he was doing this exact same thing for the Florida Panthers in that playoff run last year. Um, you understand why he's able to have the success that he has. And I do think that that is, unfortunately, a storyline always is goaltending going to hold up. Um, but just around the league, all season long, I mean, I had their first game in New Jersey. I've now been on the road and other teams that have played against the Detroit Red Wings. They're fast. They're skilled. Um, something that I've heard from other veteran players is like this team is going to be a problem in a couple years They're also really tough. I remember, was it Mike Sullivan or there was one coach telling us that he was plotting out his lineup decisions for the next three or four games. And one of the games was against the Red Wings. And he's like, Well, I know they're a fighting team and I know that they're going to play a hard nosed game. And he was basically plotting out his week based off of playing against the Red Wings. And I think that's what you want if you're a team. You just want to have an identity. And that's what. The Red Wings have been searching for in this rebuild, and it feels like they're finally on the cusp of being there. You know, it might be premature to say they're there, but they're really close.
1: And it, you bring up a lot of uh, interesting points about the Red Wings, and especially where they're at right now. And if you look at the standings, and I know a few teams have games at hand in them, but you know, the Red Wings could finish third in the Atlantic, one of the top two wild card teams, make the make the playoffs, or finish out of the race. What do you think? are the keys that Detroit has to do to continue the streak that they're on. Trust me, Emily, right now there isn't anybody in the Red Wing organization that wants to see this break come. They just want to keep playing. They just want to keep playing and playing, yet they're going to be off for nine days here after uh, tomorrow's game, uh, uh, Wednesday's game against Ottawa. But uh, the keys to make sure that Detroit can maintain this level of play.
3: Yeah, so again, number one, (laughs) goaltending. As long as Alex Lyon shows up the way he has the last couple weeks, I think they'll be fine. It'd be nice if they have Billy Husso as, you know, that strong second option. We'll see where his season goes. Um, And I think it's just keeping the faith. And I know that's super cliche, but – they're playing like a team with conviction right now with confidence you saw kind of flashes of it earlier in the year maybe that week right when they signed patrick kane and then all of a sudden everything was going right for them um but they need to believe that they're one of the best teams in this league and it is going to be not easy it's a grind the second half of the year i understand most of the games are on the road they play much better at little caesars arena um but they've been through this heartbreak for so many years with losing their best friends and teammates at the trade deadline being told once again you're not good enough you're not good enough um, so they have an opportunity here over the next couple of weeks to prove to their management team that they are good enough that they don't need to subtract subtract roster players in fact maybe can add like a depth piece or two I'm not sure if they're gonna even go that far but more so just proving that they don't need to be sellers again
0: I think that's huge, Emily. That's something we've been talking about already here in Detroit is the fact that they can't be sellers at the deadline this year. That has to be a goal for them because it, it's just been a heartbreak at that time of year every single season for some of these players. And they remember that. Like, Dylan Larkin doesn't want the feeling of losing another friend like he did in Tyler Bertuzzi a couple years ago. Or was that last year? That was last wow, season. Wow, that was last year. That was last year. <laughs>
3: it's all a blur, blends Danielle. together. It blends together. together. You can
1: throw in yeah. Athens, C.U., and Mantha. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah. lost. You know, remember, those were the four core at one time everyone thought Detroit would build around them three of them are gone Dylan's the only one left
0: yes I I know for a fact that he wants to play his heart out and make sure that they don't have to do that this year but you mentioned Patrick Kane Emily and he has been a great addition to the Red Wings locker room I know he's injured right now and the record with him in the lineup isn't great but that's to do with the fact that the Red Wings had a plethora of other injuries when he made his debut in Detroit but I'm wondering Going back to when Patrick Kane made the decision to sign with the Red Wings, and we talk about national perspective, right? Kane had other options. What does that say about Detroit that a player like Patrick Kane wanted to be here?
3: Yeah, I mean, and the other options were really, really good. He basically, the Vegas Golden Knights pulled out this huge PowerPoint presentation for him. And part of it was, you are the missing link for us to win our second Stanley Cup in a row. Like, that's pretty compelling. Uh, The Boston Bruins were the final team he came down to with Detroit. I mean, look at what Boston accomplished last year, this year, the opportunity to play with a player like David Pasternak, maybe even wear number 88. Um, So the fact that he picked Detroit, I think, should give the city a lot of confidence but it also gave confidence to the locker room um and i remember just to our previous conversation i was talking to derek lalonde this was right when patrick kane signed before he debuted and he just talked about how hard it was for him as a coach to watch the team last year after they took bertuzzi away from the lineup and traded him to boston because the guys felt like they had it and he said since then like we just couldn't regain that mentally like it was just such a gut punch to the players And this is the first time in the rebuild that he felt like the players got a shot in the arm, like finally management believed in them, was adding toward their group. and and what that did for the group mentally. Um, So all of that together means it's huge. And, of course, you want to see Patrick Kane at his absolute best, which you've seen glimpses of, Mm -hmm. um, when he's showtime. And that's why he picked Detroit, right? Because it's a city with history. It's a city where he knows hockey matters, where if they do make the playoffs and if they go on a run, he knows how electric it's going to be. That's just in his DNA. He doesn't shy away from those moments. Um, You know, we, we hope he can get there. And he's... I, you know, obviously with this latest injury, it's a little bit of a setback, but if he's hundred percent healthy, he is maybe their missing link, not necessarily as big as Vegas winning the second cup in a row, but maybe as big because just breaking this playoff drought would do wonders for this team, this franchise, um, and all these players in the room.
1: Patrick Cade, I, I hated him as a Blackhawk, but I always loved when he was wearing <laughs> yeah. the red, white, and blue. I mean, he's, he's a fabulous player. And it was apparent the first time he stepped on the ice and everybody was wondering about hip resurfacing. What, what does he have left? And you could just tell that, you know, he's a he's a cut above. There's it's it just it's just very, very obvious, even at thirty five. But, uh, Emily, you, you said parity is the number one thing. And, you, you know, it's about what, five weeks away, March 8th, uh, 3 p.m., the trade deadline on a Friday uh, this year. Uh, do you see it being a free-for-all like it has been in the past? Or do you think because of parity, it might be a lackluster trade deadline day?
3: Yeah, this is tough. And, you know, because the salary cap has remained stagnant for the last couple of years, everyone is crying poor. Um, you know, and I've made my calls around the league over the last, like, two, three weeks. People are trying to temper expectations because of that. I'm saying, you know, there's so many teams cluster in the middle. They might not be as aggressive as they might have been. Um, more teams might not feel like this is the year to go for it um you just basically wait till next year once all the general managers have an extra five million dollars at their exposed uh, disposal they'll be spending like crazy <laughs> um i'm not so sure and i think all of these factors are going to lead to a late developing market i think we're going to see most of the major trades happen the week before and right up until trade deadline day on march 8th um, but i still think there's enough intriguing situations around the league there's some serious impact players that are available um, probably the biggest being Elias Lindholm, but the potential biggest being Jake Gensel, who is an absolute monster mm-hmm. and has a ton of crucial concepts in the playoffs. That um, this should be pretty interesting. And maybe this is just me manifesting it because I like when the sport has juice and drama. But I think there will be a, quite a few trades that surprise people uh, right leading up to March 8th.
0: Nothing like a dramatic trade deadline, honestly. There's there's nothing like it. I
1: mean, it used to. The Red Wings, <laughs> you know, they bring in Wendell Clark, Bill Ranford, Chris Chelios, and Ulf Samuelson all in the same day on trade deadline day. I mean, we we camped out here, and every 10 seconds... Ken Holland was well, coming I, out saying, made another one, Not another one.
0: Don't get Red Wings fans excited for that kind no, of action no, this no, year, okay?
1: <laughs> I, I think Red Wing fans know by now, as much as they like both Kenny Holland and Steve Eiserman, they know they are definitely not the same personality. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. Okay, Emily, we have a couple quick fire hockey questions for you, and we know we're putting you on the spot and it's only halfway through the season, but we're going to do it anyway, okay? Who do you like coming out of the East? Who do you like coming out of the West? Who's going to be in our Stanley Cup final this year?
3: So the East, I cover a lot of their games. I I just see what is going on in that organization and I feel really good about it. And their goaltending has been fantastic. And all the questions that they had in the offseason seem to have been answered. They probably need a little bit more of depth at the center position. But I'm talking about the Boston Bruins. I really like them. Um, I do think they're going to emerge. I wouldn't count out the Carolina Hurricanes, it feels like mm-hmm. all of a sudden we kind of forgot about them. Their Goldings tending's been a bit suspect, but they can always make a run. But for me, this just feels like the Bruins are the most complete team right now in the East. And in the West, I really do like the Oilers. You know, for a bit, I felt pretty bullish about the Kings. They've obviously dropped off. I think the Stars and Avalanche can be very scary. Um, but the Oilers, it, they feel like a team of destiny right now. We'll see where it goes.
1: I'll tell you, our Canadian listeners, uh, you just went up a, a, a lot in, in in their mind, picking a Canadian team maybe to, to be in a Stanley Cup final, <laughs> That's perhaps, not
3: the Maple Leafs, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, Especially right. the Oilers.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it it's weird that way. You know, I, I all right, Emily. I know you've kind of said this already, but let's. How about dark horse candidates? Maybe a, a team that, when you think it over, you wouldn't be surprised if you know one team from the West, one team from the East, obviously that could emerge and kind of come out of nowhere, kind of like Florida did last year.
3: Yeah, well, how about Florida this year? Yeah, (laughs) Um, That would probably be my answer. I just think they have so much dynamic talent, and the way that they play, Paul Maurice is a very demanding coach. um, Mentally, physically, his structure takes a lot out of the guys, but they're all buying in, and if you watch the way they play, um, it's exciting hockey. Um, It can be really dominant hockey, so I wouldn't count them out. And then in the West, I mean... It's not necessarily a dark horse because they've been a good team and made it to the Western Conference final last year. I can't believe I haven't even mentioned Vegas. Vegas is probably right up there with Edmonton. Um, But Dallas, I, Mm -hmm. I, I think Dallas is just that right blend of veterans. And they hit the rebuild at the right time with these young guys. And they've got Jake Ottinger who can be very dominant when he's on. So I like them as well.
0: Yeah, the, the honestly, there's a lot of good teams this year. It's going to be such a fun playoff. I can't wait for it to get started, and I hope the Red well, Wings. Well, I'm will.
1: torn in the West because you know Ken Holland, obviously, and then Jimmy Nil, who you know obviously was a longtime Detroit executive too. Two really Another great, top great people. notch human Yeah, no doubt. Jimmy Nill is one of the best. So uh, I'm all. If it can't be the Red Wings, you know, be showing my Homer side here. But if it can't be, I you know Edmonton. I probably, you know, because Kenny's wanted as a GM, I would probably go with Jimmy No. okay, in Dallas. If I if I had could pick
0: fellow radio broadcaster Paul Woods, loves the Winnipeg Jets this year too. He's he really likes what they're doing. So uh, there's a lot going on in the league, yes. which is fun.
3: Canucks are pretty yeah. exciting. Like honestly, yes. the West really incredible teams are going to go down in the first second round, and we're all just going to be scratching our heads.
0: Yeah, there's no choice but for a good team to go down, honestly, because they're, they're all good. The but, way it um, is. Okay, Emily, we want to talk a little bit about you to wrap this up, because you have been so incredible covering the NHL for ESPN. The, the re- reborn, I guess I could say, resurgence of the NHL on ESPN has been great for everybody. The national coverage has been so exceptional. But how did Emily Kaplan become this national ESPN hockey reporter? Was it always hockey for you?
3: You know i grew up being a massive hockey fan Uh, i always watched games with my dad it was how we bonded uh i went to penn state just a football school my first job out of college was my dream job at age 23 at sports illustrated i got the opportunity to cover the nfl under peter king um, as a mentor which was fantastic and maybe i had the foresight of where things were going it seems a little surreal to talk about now um but espn reached out to me um about a football job and in that interview i just mentioned several times my passion for hockey And they called me back. And at the time, they had just gone through some massive hockey layoffs. Unfortunately, it was a time before we had the rights. They didn't take it as seriously and said, our biggest need right now is a national hockey reporter. You said you like the sport. Would you be interested? And uh, Peter had always pushed me to try to have my own beat to take control there. And I just saw it as a really cool opportunity to cover the sport I love um, and ran with it. And that was 2017. Obviously, we got the rights back a few years later. And um, a lot of opportunities came with that.
0: Arts. This is a weird question because... Oh, boy. We're, he always uh, asks one weird no, one, No, so it, it's be prepared. That it's,
1: it's that we've all done rinkside reporting, and we've all done the, hey, you've got 30 seconds. Unfortunately, you know, Torts' team just gave up a goal, and you got to talk to them. <laughs> uh, and you're sitting there, okay. Uh, what is that feeling like to do that in-game interview? I mean, I know it's exhilarating, but... I mean, it's such a fluid situation. Do you have a list of, ca- of questions or do you just go with your gut when they say, Emily, you're on and boom, you just start firing away?
3: Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, there's definitely that time where I'm standing behind the bench and the, uh, just, uh, I'm supposed to talk to like the home coach and the visiting team scores. I'm like, God damn it. he's gonna the bad news. <laughs> um, But you got to go there anyway and suck it up and, You know this is where you rely on your relationships and i think there's a level of respect that hopefully i've gained with these guys that no matter what they're feeling and often their emotions run really high um they can hone it in and treat me with a professional respect of understanding i'm just there to do my job and i'm just trying to inform the viewer and we're all doing our same goal of growing the game which the the sport is so obsessed with and it's pretty important for us um you know my philosophy has always been just Focus on something kind of narrow, just get his thoughts. I'm the vehicle, um, again, to get his opinion to the world. So sometimes it's just open, lean, and neutral. Just how do you feel about the way your team is playing? Maybe it's, you know, something we talked about pregame of saying like, hey, you really want your guys to protect the middle. How do you think they're doing? And then if I'm able to get a follow-up question, which typically I can if we're not entering into a power play, or if the coach isn't too chatty, there's a couple loquacious guys. Um, I just try to listen to them and get a follow-up because I feel like in the second follow-up question, um, when you press them on more details, uh, you typically get something tangible out of it, whereas they're so well-trained to give you all these platitudes. uh, Trying to chisel away and get to the real truth is where the follow-ups are key.
0: When you're doing games, one of my favorite things is I'll be watching from the radio booth, the press box, wherever I'm at at the time, and you know when Emily's going to do one of her bench interviews you see her like scurrying behind all the players on the bench. <laughs> You've got to be pretty athletic to get back there, Emily. It's, it's a, it's, it's tight.
3: <laughs> I like to think I have to stay fit for the assignment. Um, I'm an athlete too. Uh, no. And yeah, it's obviously I've, I've come up with some methods of hurdling myself over there, like in dress clothes, mind you, like not in sweats like the guys are. Um, I think the one misconception though is everyone gets super concerned when I have to walk on the ice and especially if it's after a period and it's all chopped up. It's really not that hard. I'm not gonna eat and sorry for cursing. And if I do, I will gladly own it and it'll be something that happened.
0: You'll go viral. You'll you'll have like a viral social media clip yeah. out there. So it'll it'll be I'd
3: like that. to think I would do it with Grace. <laughs> Who
0: knows? <laughs> you won't Hey, you what was it a stick that you got hit with in Detroit that one time?
3: I did. It was yeah. um I think of Oscar Sunquist. Uh, it was just like this big – and the Detroit between the bench areas is more unique than anywhere else at Little Caesars in the league because you're basically on the bench. There's no barrier between you and – I think it's the visiting team. So, yeah, there was just this big scuffle in front of me, and it was just hard to see because all these sticks were all mashed up and um, got whacked in the face, got my first black eye, and I no longer say I want to have a black eye for street cred because <laughs> falling asleep with that thing is tough.
0: Oh
1: man. Yeah, one time I was doing a college game. It was Western Michigan versus Michigan at, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Lawson Ice Arena, the home of the Lawson Loonies, but Western's a wild place to nice. do a game. And I was behind the bench, and I was going to talk to Jeff Blaschel, who was the coach of Western. And the play was around the bench, and I'm looking over, and I, I lean back as the players did, and Danny DeKaiser's stick came and hit me in the shoulder. Just like bam, oh, no. and I almost and I looked and I, I look at it and I had this big black tape mark of his stick. I mean, of his, the blade of his stick was on my suit at that time, and it hurt forever. It hurt for <laughs> weeks. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I mean, there there's risk involved, but it is. It's a. I've always said it. It beats working for a living. Yeah, it's a wonderful yeah, job. It is. Very it fun. definitely it sure is. Does.
3: And it makes you appreciate though of all of the bruises and nicks that these guys get on an eighty-two game basis and just have to play on. Yeah, like I get one and I'm reeling for weeks.
0: I'm wondering <laughs> if the two of you did you uh, both act like it didn't hurt at the time.
3: Oh yeah, <laughs> of
1: course. Yeah, I, I'm good. The, the assistant at Western, you know, even Blash came over, who's really intense during a game. By the way, uh, came over uh-huh. and said, "Hey, hey, Art, you are all right? You all right?" And I said, "Oh yeah, of course. What? What? Did I got hit. You know." And I'm looking and I go, oh, "My God, uh-huh. dry cleaning's not going to take this out. This suit's ruined." You know, but uh, oh well. Oh, that's <laughs> great. Well, <laughs> well, Emily. Yeah, I
3: have to give. Yeah, okay. no. Shout out to the Red Wings equipment staff. One of the best in the league and. They were giving me ice packs. They tried to give me a helmet with my name on it. I was trying to say it's too cool, but thank you, fellas. I do appreciate you. (laughs) That's
0: even better. You would have done your next interview with a Red Wings helmet on. That would have been even better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But thank you, Emily. We appreciate you taking the time to join us on the Red and White Authority today. It was such a great conversation, and we're looking forward to seeing you in Detroit.
3: Uh, Trust me, I'm looking forward just as much, but lovely to chat. Thanks, guys, and uh, here's to a great second half.
0: Great. Thank you. Thanks, Emily. Emily Kaplan is a gem, let me tell you, first of all. Thank you so much again to her for joining the podcast. We love chatting with her. And I think some of the biggest takeaways and the biggest things we learned is that Emily Kaplan loves Detroit because everybody should love Detroit. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that, that she loves right. our city. It's great.
1: What kind of gem is she? A diamond? Ooh. A ruby?
0: A sapphire? We'd have to ask her. I mean, I want to say diamond because that's like the classic, like yeah, everybody. I, I diamonds think she's more... of are forever?
1: I, but I think... A ruby just cut the right way is stunning.
0: Yeah. Okay. Sure. If, if you if you think she's a, pre- ruby, she's a ruby, she's a ruby. Okay. Anyway. Um, ruby Kaplan. That's what we should start calling her. It's, it's a woman's first name, too. <laughs> you come up with a nickname for everybody, even when it's not really wanted. Like, no one asked for this nickname, but you have one for them. Every time.
1: Well, uh, well I, Crusher's still Crusher.
0: Yeah. And he doesn't mind. No one knows who Crusher is. Who's Crusher? Ben Chirot. Okay, there we go. So you, you're, you never mind. I'm not saying they're original nicknames. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, Emily loves Detroit. Okay, she, she does. She loves Detroit. Yes. She's also paying very close attention to the goaltending situation league-wide, as we have been, too. And obviously here for the Red Wings right now, it's been great with the way Alex Lyon has been playing. But she's right. There aren't that many teams, and some of these really good teams that have that sure-handed goaltender that they can count on night in and night out.
1: Well, right, and we just look at the Las Vegas Golden Knights last year right. winning the Stanley Cup. I, I mean, Darren Elliott, who used to work here, now works for the Golden Knights. I go out to Vegas like once a summer, and I always hang out with Darren a little bit. And you know, he and he always told me. If you would have told us we would have had five different goaltenders and won the Stanley Cup in one season, I would have told you you were nuts. But it's very, very important. Each goaltender that Vegas seemed to plug in was Alex Lyon. Yeah, Let's put it that right. way. And so uh, with all that said, what was interesting, what I really thought was, is that the one team that everybody has been speculating that they had to shore up goaltending this year was the Edmonton Oilers. And lo and behold, you know they're on that 16-game winning streak because Connor McDavid said they c- – they committed the defense yeah. and uh so maybe they won't get a goalie maybe there won't be a run on the goaltending and you know the trade deadline day is going to be really interesting because you could tell from Emily that she was you know she's working her sources she's oh, making yeah. calls she's trying to figure out what's going to happen yet at this point and still you know we're about six weeks away but you know it's going to come up sooner than rather than later and I don't know if anybody really knows what to expect.
0: Yeah, it'll be an interesting week, the week right, of that March right. 8th trade deadline. But as Emily alluded to, it's going to be probably pretty quiet until closer to the deadline. So right. and it, what it will, will be Steve interesting. Do? I don't know what that's the, WWSD. What would Steve do? That w-
1: is always the million dollar question, <laughs> Steve. <laughs> if only he'd he let us into some of
0: his insights. Come on, Steve. I want to. I would just want to
1: <laughs> hop into your office and sit there across from you for, at your desk and just like pepper you with questions. I don't know why he wouldn't enjoy that.
0: Yeah, me either. No idea, no clue why he wouldn't enjoy that one. <laughs> you know, I did want to compliment you and Emily too. Both oh, thank of you. you have been injured during hockey games and you took it like champs <laughs> kept going pretended nothing and, happened and seriously it was Danny Kaiser's <laughs> stick because you know the
1: puck was coming over and every they all moved back well I moved back too but you know they're holding their sticks so he moved back and the blade hit me square in the sh- I'm hitting my shoulder now yeah, actually and I think
0: you just hurt yourself again and it, and it left it, it did so it,
1: it left a bl- it was black tape it left a tape mark of the outline of his stick and I think, oh, like I said, you know, it's I can't try to clean that out. I was and, just going to
0: say, wait, wait, wait. Did you keep the suit and does it still have the print on there? Well,
1: you know what? As a matter of fact, I still wore the suit because it did sort of come out. You could tell a little bit. But it was also a suit that was sh- soaked in champagne in 2002 when they won the Stanley Cup. Uh, because yeah, I was in the room, I was on the radio network at the time, and these guys just kept pouring champagne on me. The next day, I brought that. I brought it into the dry cleaner, and the, they thought I was crazy. They thought that I should keep the suit as a memento, but I figured, man, that thing's going to smell awful after a while. I mean, you know, I would assume champagne, if it dries out, wouldn't, wouldn't it still smell and spoil or something? I got the suit dry cleaned.
0: Uh, very good. Good decision. Good decision. Unless yeah. you were gonna like frame it or something, but that would be
1: weird. Yeah, really, yeah. yeah. That's uh, I. I had no impact on this team. I, you know, my name's not on the cup, but they poured champagne on me. I, I yeah. think. I think it was mostly Nick Ledstra, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, so I kept cool. it.
0: It's still pretty cool.
1: Oh yeah. Well, you know, th- being in a room, a celebration like that. Any team when they win a championship is very uh gratifying in a, especially if it's your hometown team. Mm-hmm. You know, if, you know, for me the Red Wings winning, you know, it, it doesn't get much better than that. And uh uh you know, I mean I was so overcome with emotion that I actually hugged Nick. Oh, and he man, hugged have, he, he hugged me back. I'm sure he's like, I'm gonna have, to, ask got, like, him I'm gonna have to do something I'm
0: about ask him if He remembers that oh, next time I, I see I him. was
1: a big champion of Nick because that was the year uh that you know that he won the con Smythe where in in that playoff he played the triple overtime game against Carolina, where Igor scores the goal, uh, assisted by Matthew Dandenow uh, to win that. And then the Red Wings went on and won two days later on a Monday night. But this was a Saturday night game. Um, he played over 65 or 66 minutes, and I remember being on the bus with him going. They didn't play the – the, they couldn't practice the next day. They were just, you know – but you had media they had to go to media availability so we all got on the bus we went to wherever the media hotel was and I told Nick I said look I said they cannot deny you they being the canadian press I go you are phenomenal I go you've come of age I go when we walk in there Nick they're going to be all over you and he said yeah right you know because you know he he's up for Norse trophies he's not you know what I mean he's clearly one of the better defensemen if not the best defenseman in the league we get into this hotel. We walk in, and there we have to go to the ballroom. The door opens. I'm standing next to Nick, but I take a step back. I let him kind of, you know, walk in first. He walks in first, and they just converge on him. Everybody. I mean, it was just like a huge, you know, microphones, cameras, lights, all that kind of stuff. And he turned around, and he goes, thanks a lot, Art. I go, I didn't do it. You did. You know, like that. He was laughing, but that, yeah, I mean, that was... Uh, uh, that was really officially when he really started to get the recognition that he had deserved for years.
0: We went from Art getting hit by a stick to Nick Lidstrom getting his recognition that he finally deserved in 2002. It, Only he poured, you can make that happen. It's actually quite impressive. Poured, it's actually well quite impressive. The same suit I had get it. champagne it. You, you already on told it. the story. You told the story. You told it.
1: Yeah, sorry. All right. I apologize, audience. Uh, My
0: brain's not working great today because I leave for a vacation tomorrow. Yes, yes.
1: But But I know deep down... You feel like most of the Red Wings do, where they wish that no. they weren't stopping, that they that they kept playing, that they the Red Wings are in the mode. We want to play every fun. other day. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I wish they could keep playing, but I would still go on my vacation.
1: Oh really? Right. Yeah. I well, I know you're just saying that too, <laughs> you know, because you you know you want Vince to think, yeah, the marriage is still on, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll go on vacation together. <laughs> but uh, uh, but I I know if you had your druthers, you'd be with your team.
0: Yeah, you're right. Right here, the heart and soul of the team. Right, they, exactly. they couldn't
1: do it without me. Uh, you know, I, I many people don't know that Daniela addresses the team before each
0: game. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway, my point is, I felt like talking about vacation. So for today's two-minute minor segment, I talked to Joe Valeno about some of his vacation experiences. Daniela Bruce here for Two Minute Minor with Joe Valeno. Today we're going to talk vacations, Joe, because the All Star break is upon us. Are you going on vacation, first of all?
2: I am, yes. Going to Mexico.
0: Oh, nice. Is it a group of guys or is it just you?
2: Um, I'm going with my girlfriend, but I know a lot of guys are making their way down there. So I'll probably bump into a few of them.
0: Okay, you told me before we started recording that Mexico, I'm assuming Cabo, going to Cabo. Okay, it's Cabo. Is not your favorite vacation spot. What is your favorite vacation spot?
2: Favorite vacation spot is... Uh, only ever been to Miami so it <laughs> sounds bad but I've been there <laughs> <laughs> Joe is a Miami guy pegged
0: no. you for it Joe <laughs> um,
2: I don't know I'd like to make my way down to Europe and yeah. um like to go back to my roots a little bit in Italy so yeah. I went there when I was really long really young but I don't remember much so um I'd like to go back to Italy hopefully uh, maybe this summer or sometime soon. okay
0: so we say dream vacation is probably yeah. going back to Italy what yeah. parts
2: um I'd like to go to um, Rome Capri um, Naples and there's another one that I'm forgetting uh,
0: it's Capri's on the Amalfi coast right yeah yeah, yeah exactly okay. so, so that's yeah yeah
2: that whole amalfi coast really
0: all right that sounds like a great trip I, I need yeah. to do one of those too well thank you for taking the time to join us and enjoy the All-star break
2: thank
1: you
0: Joe Valeno. he was a man of few words for that one. You know, Joe used to be one of our <laughs> bloggers, so I, I,
1: I I've talked to Joe when he was in the Quebec League, when he was in Sweden, when he was in GR, when he's been here in Detroit. Uh, you know, at you know at home in Montreal, where you know, remember during the pandemic, he would post those uh, Instagram things of him. Uh, carrying weights on his back <laughs> or, you know, walking the hills of Montreal, which I did not know it was a hilly area, and you know, with his shirt off and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, he's you know, he really worked out. Joe from the moment he was drafted to where he is today, physically, and I know that his his brother is a high end trainer. I mean, I know everything about Joe. You know, and uh,
0: is there a player you don't know everything about? Well, because you know, I swear, some, I swear, you only, say that literally. I know certain, their family. Only I know certain their ones. Brothers. You know,
1: only certain guys. You know that <laughs> I'll, I'll get to know, like like the Rasmussen's. You yes. know, I, I'm probably and like like a fourth-generation uncle to them or something. But uh, uh, it, it it just, you know, when you get to know them, and what happens is, is when you cover a draft, and, and this will happen to you too, Daniela, uh, when you cover a draft and you see a guy from the time he's 18 and you meet him then and you talk to him and... Uh, you know, like most sides, the first interview he did with the Detroit Red Wings was with me, and, and you get to know him a little bit, and then you follow him. It's, they kind of it's a weird feeling, but they become kind of like your guy. You know, Michael's definitely one. Joe's definitely one. You know, unfortunately, Philip Zadina was one, and I just wish him nothing but the best of luck. You know, and you get to meet a lot of them, and probably the thing that is really kind of, you, you feel bad is that a lot of guys that you meet that are drafted over the years do not make it. And you feel, because you, you like them as people so much, but, you know, professional sports is an unforgiving world. It's kind of like like your, your favorite coach, Dan Campbell, said. Mm-hmm. You know, when he has to assess his personnel, he can't let his personal feelings, because he likes these guys so much, they did so much for them, but the bottom line is, can we win with them are they producing and you know and that and that's the you know, life of an athlete's great i'm not going to say that it isn't but it's very very difficult there's a lot of pressure there's always someone that wants to take your spot and so i have a lot of respect and empathy for these guys
0: i love that you're you're very into this today because you've gone I am right. Joe Valeno I, wanting to I, go to Italy to Joe Valeno's draft story, your draft stories, and I'm just like talking about vacation. I was just going to ask you your favorite vacation. My, spot. My
1: favorite vacation spot. Uh, you know what? I'll tell you a city that I really, really like. Let's um, hear it. Is Charleston, Charleston, South Carolina? It's a good one. Yeah, it's it's a great because it's old school. It has history. The Civil War started there. Uh, no, <laughs> it did, but you know, Fort Sumter's over there. It's historic. Uh, I like Charleston, South Carolina. I love going to California. I love New York City. Um, you know, I like Boston a lot. Uh, you go to Vegas. Vancouver. I go to Vegas. You know, I really, I love Vegas. I'm not a gambler. I don't understand it at all. I don't, but what I do like about Las Vegas is, is that that is the most American city in the entire world because it is a tapestry of everything that is that this country is about. From you know, f- both all sides of the spectrum, and I, I'm just find it fascinating, fascinating. I really do like going to uh, you know Fremont Street in Old <laughs> Las Vegas. I mean, that's a you know that's, a, that's weirdo city, but it's kind of cool too. It's a little bit unsettling at times, but kind of cool.
0: Aside from Canada, have you been out of the country? Do I? I've been to, to London. I really oh, like yeah? London, England.
1: Yeah, the first thing I did when I got there, um, it was raining. And uh, our hotel room wasn't ready then. I was sent there to cover a boxing match. I've got a great story that I'll ne- I won't tell in this podcast, but it was raining. And, you know, and there's the double the double-decker bus, you know, that I've grown up my whole life seeing. And so I'm taking a bus to go on this tour thing that I bought. And so I'm on this bus... And I immediately go up, I want to go upstairs, and the, you know, the bus driver goes, he goes, hey, mate, you know, I, I can't do an English accent, it's raining, I go, buddy, I've been waiting my whole life, I go, I don't care, <laughs> and so, so I went up on the, uh, and I sat in the front seat and just sat there and let the rain just fall on me, so we drove through London, that was a little weird, but I was so psyched to be there, you know, it's a long flight, too, it's like eight, nine hours or something to get there, and Heathrow Airport, and, you know. Yeah I, you know, I at one time thought metro was a big airport and it is Heathrow is gigantic I yeah. mean you know it's it's it's, it's you know major import, you know a major airport in, this, in of the world I would imagine so it's cool.
0: Well, now that we know everything about London. your world travels to. Okay,
1: let me say London, I guess.
0: Okay. So London is the place is, you yeah, enjoy. When I'm in my okay.
1: European mode, I want to go to London.
0: Yeah. You picked a lot of cities, but that's very much like you. You ask for one, you usually get five or six. I so. enjoy
1: life. I enjoy yeah, people. You, you know, so I, I like I like every place I go, I try to uh, get the flavor of the area. <laughs> Wonderful.
0: All right. Well, we're gonna wrap this episode of the Red and White Authority. Is any of this gonna make it? I
1: mean,
0: I I, I, mm, I, I don't want to say because I don't want to let our listener know how many we, how much we actually. Well, we don't edit. We actually,
1: it's almost. Truly, it's almost a look live. Really,
0: (laughs) depending on the date. No, it it is. It is. Anyway, that's it for the Red and White Authority today. I want to remind all of you to like and subscribe to our podcast. Too. This comes out every week Thursdays. You can tune in and listen to not so much of me and Art, I promise. But we have great guests every single week.
1: Yeah, really. And Alex Lyon wants to be a guest. Every and he week. wants, yeah,
0: he's ready. Yeah, he, he is he's, ready.
1: He's. A, we should give him his own segment. Uh,
0: maybe another like, thing. What do you? Oh God, li- Lyon with Lyon, like, like lying, lying around,
1: him. not like lying, like he's lying, but just like lying around. You know? Because yeah, he's you need to work so on carefree. that. I'll give hey, you he, a week. He gave a Jethro Tall reference the other day, which I was amazed at.
0: Yeah. Go ahead and you think about that for a little while because that name kind of stunk. So you think of another one. We'll come back to you on that. This has been the Red and White Authority brought to you by Labatt Blue.